Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. know if you saw this, but uh, towards the end of last year, uh, you may have seen this because it happens every year, doesn't it? But towards the end of last year, Time Magazine announced its Person of the Year. And Time Magazine reserved this award for the person who they believe makes the single biggest impact in a year. And this year, the winner, or last year rather, the current Time Person of the Year, the winner was Elon Musk the U.S. billionaire. Uh, The previous winners of Time Magazine Person of the Year have been the chairman of the U.S. Federal Reserve, Presidents George Bush, Barack Obama, Bono from U2, Mark Zuckerberg, founder of Facebook or Metaverse, whatever it's called now. I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, the award actually went not to one person, but to a group of people. The award went to what Time Magazine called the protester that they gave the award to every person who took part in the Arab uprisings. Everybody who occupied Wall Street that year. And here's why Time Magazine did it. They said they gave the award to these people for redefining people power around the world. Now there's the key word, isn't it? Power. Whether it's redefining power or showing power or exercising power, That is what gets you onto the cover of Time magazine. Greatest status. The greatest person in the world each year is the person who has had the biggest impact, the most powerful impact in the world. Friends, here this evening in Mark's Gospel chapter 9, for you and for me, here is the Lord Jesus himself redefining people power in his kingdom redefining greatness. I want to help you do that this evening. What a, what a moment it is at the start of a new year to do this together. Here is the Lord Jesus's New Year's honors list. It's what, it's what the disciples were talking about, isn't it? Verse 33, Jesus hears them talking. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. Isn't this astonishing? After they have just seen the Lord Jesus himself transfigured on the mountain. Now in shame and embarrassment, they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. New Year's honors lists are everything, aren't they? Chris Whitty, Jonathan Van Tam. I can't remember who the rest of them are. Sports stars, celebrities. Our world's eyes are riveted on who is top of the pile. You know, it's interesting that the disciples want to be the greatest, don't they, in those verses. And do you notice Jesus doesn't actually rebuke them for that goal? That's the astonishing thing. Now He sits them down, verse 35, calls them and says, look, if you want to be first, if you want to make it to the top of the pile... Well, here's my way of doing it. The first must be last of all and servant of all. Friends, this evening, here here are four marks of true greatness in Jesus' kingdom. 
four marks of true greatness in Jesus' kingdom. I hope you want these this evening. I hope you're going to to, to embed these in your life in the year to come. Number one, deep humility. Deep humility. Number two, zero superiority. Number three, thoughtfully relational. And number four, profound dependence. Put all of those things to work in your life in 2022. Deep humility, zero superiority. Be thoughtfully relational and have a profound dependence on God. And you will be great in the kingdom. Let me show you the first one, deep humility. Just look at those verses again. They kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. See, they think that Jesus is great. They've seen that he is great. And so they think that means that they need to be great. And Jesus says, Here's how you define greatness. I want to watch what you do with a child. I want to watch what you do with a little child. Verse 35 he took a child and put him in the midst of them. It's like a, a, a visual lesson, isn't it? Calling the child into the midst of them. And he shows them what to do with the child. Takes him in his arms. He said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Do you know what the Lord Jesus is doing there? He's not pointing to the innocence of the child. Okay, does that, does that even exist? The innocence of a child? He's not pointing to the youth of the child. He's highlighting the lack of status of the child. What can you do in any society as a child? Nothing. You can't vote. You can't smoke. You don't call the shots. You're not a mover or a shaker. And that is exactly the point. You climb no greasy pole hanging out with children, do you? Welcome the banker or the professor or the academic into your midst, the person who's made it to the top of the tree. That, that's prestigious, isn't it? But the child, who cares about the child? Jesus is teaching these disciples, friends, a profound lesson. If you see your king on a cross, if you see your king on a cross, then you will see yourself on a cross. You will give yourself to people that mean the death of you and the death of your pride and the death of your prestige and the death of your ambition. Christian people following the Lord Jesus are trying to kill their pride, aren't they? All the time. It's what we do. And we all struggle with it all the time, don't we? Christian men can be proud. Christian women can be proud. Christian pastors can be proud. Elderly people can be proud. Young people can be proud. Academics can be proud. You know, I, I've told you this story. Uh, not, not, not all of you know it. It's worth, it's worth repeating to those of you who haven't told it before. Years ago, and fortunately it's long enough ago now that uh, all the guilty are long gone. Uh, but I had, a, I had lunch with a PhD student uh, who'd been in our church family and he asked to see me. And he said to me over lunch, he said, look, I need to tell you something. I feel hurt that you have not asked me to preach in church. 
That is where my gifts are. I'm a teacher and you haven't asked me. Now, this chap who I was having lunch with, with was a lovely guy. But we only ever saw him in church occasionally. And when he was in church occasionally, he stood at a distance from people. And yet he put himself forward as gifted to teach people. Contrast it with this. Several years later, when Trinity began, some of you will remember Tim and Julie Baylor arriving in Aberdeen with their two little girls. And Tim is now teaching in the Divinity Department down in Lampeter in Wales. And soon after arriving in our church family, Tim, the PhD student, turned up every single Sunday at 10 a.m. to carry boxes. We used to start at 11 o'clock, so 10 was an early start for many people. And Tim started coming unasked, uninvited at 10 o'clock to carry boxes. He moved chairs. Whoever else was on welcome team, Tim was there. Now, friends, these verses this evening in Mark's gospel, they are not saying to you, you have to come at 10 a.m. and carry boxes. You need to come at 9.30 anyway now, be a bit earlier. And I'm not saying that to you this evening, but Mark's gospel is saying that the world over among God's people, unless we see who Jesus is clearly, that will lead to failure of service. See, you see how verses 33 down to 37, do you see what they follow? Verse 31, he was teaching his disciples, saying to him, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But look at verse 32, but they did not understand the saying. For what were they doing? Busy arguing about who would be the greatest. Straight after Jesus has said, I'm going to the cross to die. Failure of sight of who Jesus is will lead to failure of service. How can men and women of dust seek glory when the Lord of glory sought a cross? Now, men and women who see their king on a cross, well, they just find places in his kingdom where there is no spotlight and no visible reward and no platform and no praise coming their way. And in that corner of his vineyard, they simply bury themselves. They kill themselves. They lay themselves in the dust. See, imagine this. Would you ever believe it? I don't know, I don't know when the Time magazine announcement comes out every year, but would you ever... Would you ever believe it if you log on to the BBC News or wherever it is? Let's say it's in December. Here is Time Magazine's announcement for Person of the Year 2022. Here it is. Shona Patterson, P2, Airy Hall Primary School. Who? What's she done? Nothing. She's just standing there in the dinner queue waiting for her school dinner like everybody else, day after day. What's she contributing to society? Not much at all. Brothers and sisters, as we sit here this evening in this community, in this church, among God's people, I am nobody. I have no automatic rights of access to God. He owes me nothing. Who are the people who count in society? The movers, the shakers, the consultancy firms who can promise you for enough money access to the ear of a prime minister and advertising clouts in the markets that matter. 
Yes, says Jesus, that's what happens in the world, but not in my kingdom. Let me tell you who counts in my kingdom, the humble, people with deep humility, the the brain surgeon who cannot believe that the Lord of glory left heaven for him. The, the accountant whose heart fills with joy every time she sits in church and remembers that her sins are forgiven. The recovering alcoholic who is amazed that she has a Savior who has turned her life around. And the unemployed and the struggling young man who knows that he is loved and welcomed in the kingdom. They count, says Jesus. People who realize as they sit beside each other week after week that they sit together on exactly the same level playing field, minister, musician, mother, manager, identical, the same. Here is Jesus dealing with the pride of his disciples. He, he has to deal with our pride. That's the first mark of true greatness, deep humility. Here's the second one, number two, zero superiority. Zero superiority. Look at John in verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Did you know that Christian people, when they lose sight of Jesus' cross-shaped glory, Christian people can be superior people. That's John in verse 38, isn't it? Let me give you J.C. Ryle. You know, if if I'm preaching on any one of the Gospels, you're going to get J.C. Ryle somewhere in the sermon, aren't you? Here he is this evening. He says this, The conduct of John in this verse is a curious illustration of human nature in every age. Thousands in every period of church history have spent their lives copying John's mistake. They have labored to stop every man or every woman who will not work for Christ in their way from working for Christ at all. They have imagined in their petty self-conceit that no man can be a soldier of Christ unless he wears their uniform and fights in their regiment. The plain truth is we are all too ready to say, with Job's comforters, we are the men and wisdom will die with us. No, we forget that no church on earth has an absolute monopoly on all of wisdom and that people may be right in the main without agreeing with us. We must learn to be thankful if sin is opposed and the gospel is preached and the devil's kingdom is pulled down, even though the work may not be done exactly the way we like it. Isn't that a lovely way to think? Isn't that a beautiful, expansive expression of grasp of who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world? It's so easy to see another believer and to say, you are not one of us. And so to begin to keep your distance from them and and worse, in time to begin to build a wall between you and them. No, Christian people who see a king on a cross see his kingdom, don't they? Not their own empire. Christ's gospel, not their church. Christ's rule, not their reign. I want to encourage you, friends, Sunday by Sunday, the first Sunday of every month, when we put out the prayer news, it's available this evening. It was out in this morning's order of service. If you didn't get one, you can take it away from the back. I want, I want to encourage you, when that comes out, to take that away each week and notice, hopefully, the blend of Trinity church family and non-Trinity church family things. 
We love being in a family of churches here, the, the IPC. We have a, a, a denomination, a family that we are part of. We pray for them, not just for Trinity, and we pray for churches outside our own fellowship. We pray for our city. We pray for friends, for others in other places. Number two, zero superiority. Number three, truly great people are thoughtfully relational. Truly great people are thoughtfully relational. I want you to notice what Jesus does here with this little child. He, he uses the visual aid now of the little child and he applies it to those disciples who do what he says in verse 35 and who make themselves servants of all. So if you just look at it closely, when, when Jesus says in verse 37 that whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and then he says in verse 42, notice, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me. What he's doing, he's now applying the title little ones to his disciples. Those who believe in me. Christians, disciples of Jesus, humbled people are little ones. So once you get to verse 42 onwards, Jesus is not talking about literal little children anymore. See, if you look at verse 38 again, John meets his first little one. John meets somebody without recognition. who didn't have a title or a role in the denomination. who wasn't connected to all the right people. And so we tried to stop him. Jesus says, no, verse 42, how we treat one another, how we regard other followers of Jesus has to be a priority for us. Maybe more of a priority for you than you've ever realized. I think, friends, the Lord Jesus here makes you my priority. And he makes me your priority in a very startling way. Do you see that in verse 42? You need to be my priority because of the consequences if you are not. You need to be my priority because of the consequences if you are not. Better to be drowned at sea than to cause a little one who belongs to Christ to sin. See that in verse 42? Actually, the word here for sin is, is better translated as stumble. Better to cause, better to be drowned at sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. See, it doesn't mean that if I ever wrong you or upset you or we disagree over something, it doesn't then mean that I'm in danger of hell. No, the meaning here is that if I trip you up so that you no longer have any time for Christ and the gospel and want to turn your back on it all, if I cause you to fall away from the Savior once and for all, then woe to me, says Jesus. Woe to me if I sin like that with a high hand and with no awareness of my need to repent. Why is it so serious to cause another Christian to stumble? Well, it's because of verse 37, isn't it? It's because of what Jesus says here in verse 37. To reject another Christian is to reject Jesus himself. Whoever receives one of these little ones in my name receives me. Whoever receives me, receives not me, but the one who sent me. Is anything worse than rejecting Jesus himself? Is there anything worse than doing that in the world? Jesus says, actually, if you push another believer 
push and push and push them away until they no longer want anything to do with me. It is as if you're doing that to me myself. And so because that is so awful, even being maimed, cutting off your own hand or your foot or your eye in order to live, it's better than keeping everything intact, but living and acting towards other in ways that show that you care nothing for them. Eventually you find yourself cast away from Christ forever. See, in those verses, Jesus is appealing to the deepest desire that we have to live. We want to live, don't we? Many of you know the story of Aaron Ralston, that climber in America. Uh, 2003, he was climbing through canyons in the Blue John Canyon in Utah, and a large boulder fell on him and forced him down a ravine and pinned his arm against the side of a crevice in the ravine. And the short of it is that after five days trapped there, he realized no one was coming for him. No one knew he was there. And he realizes that in order to live, he has to cut off his own arm. I won't spoil the story for you if you don't know it. It's out in a film, 127 hours. The film is called, as you can imagine, it is not for the squeamish. It's an example of what the Lord Jesus says here. People want to live. They want to live. They want to live so much that actually we are capable of harming ourselves in order to live, to achieve the greater good of living. Friends, can you see the staggering import of what Jesus is saying? I need to be willing to cause myself harm to prevent you from coming to harm. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that the startling logic of what he is saying? I will cause myself harm if need be to prevent you from coming to harm. Brothers and sisters, what a staggeringly different community of people the church is. Where, on earth, where else on earth do you find this? My harm before your health, because I love life and I want to enter it with you one day, to be in Christ's presence with you. I'm just a nobody who's been welcomed and rescued, and so I will never ever regard myself as better than you or higher up than you, and I will put my own needs second to your needs because I know that how I act towards you is how I am acting towards the Savior who loves you. I want to ask you this evening how you see yourself. Do you see yourself as a little one? Or maybe deep down, an important one. How do, how do you see these others sitting around you here this evening? Are they the same as you on your level? Here, here's a question. Are they your means of relating well to Jesus? Jesus says they are. Isn't that astonishing? These people around you in this church family are your means of relating well to Jesus. See, this language here of eye and hand cutting off, usually we tend to think of it in relation to lust, don't we, and how we need to deal with it. But here it is much broader than that. It's pride. What is there about my whole body, my hands, my feet, my eyes, my tongue, my very person that displays pride that needs to be removed so that I can love you properly? If my eye is constantly envying what somebody else has, I'd be better off gouging that eye out than giving in to what the eye wants. 
If my hand is always grasping for more, more money, more privilege, and less sacrifice, less prestige, less service, Jesus says I'd be better off hacking that hand off and doing away with it. If my foot is constantly restless for the job or the house or the position that's going to win friends and influence people, I'd be better off on crutches. Brothers and sisters, the language in those verses is so strong. So strong because Christ's people are so precious to him. This happens, doesn't it, in life? Many of you will have seen this in one form or another, seen the damage that Christian people can do to other Christian people. The willingness to destroy fellowships and to destroy one another so that I can get what I want, so that I can be first, my way or the highway. No, says Jesus, you don't, you don't understand. It is my harm before your health. Here's the last thing to see. Brothers and sisters, right at the heart of the Christian faith, right at the center of it, there is this profound truth that people who see the Lord Jesus most clearly abase themselves most completely. Here's the fourth one, profound dependence. Profound dependence on Jesus. I left this one to the end, but that's the first part of the passage that we read from verse 14 down to verse 29, this, this story where the, the disciples are unable to cast out this, this evil spirit and they, they wonder why they can't do it. What's at the heart of it? Why can they not do it? Verse 29, it's there at the end. He said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Look how exasperated Jesus is with them. Verse 18, O faithless generation, How long am I to persevere with you? You see, what's happening here is the disciples see themselves on a throne. They've got Jesus and they think he's a ticket to easy street. They simply have to use his name as a magic charm. Say the name Jesus and everything will be okay. But they are not prayerfully, humbly, deeply dependent on him. They do not believe they need him. They just need his power, his magic, his skills. Friends, I think prayer is the measure of the Christian like nothing else is. Prayer is the measure of a church like nothing else is. See, in our own hearts, if you looked at the week ahead, it's not printed here this evening. It was printed this morning in our order of service. The week ahead, Wednesday evening, Crudent Trust budget meeting. Thursday evening, prayer meeting. Which of those two meetings is the more important one? One of them deals with three-figure sums. And the other meeting shows whether we know we are empty-handed or not. Brothers and sisters, here is true greatness. Disciples come to Jesus for mercy for themselves before they are ever deeply perturbed about the sins of others. They love to serve, not to be served. Disciples like this are astonished to find themselves inside the kingdom. They're the kind of people who come to see that they are more wicked themselves than they were ever told they were by anybody else. They discover they are more loved by Jesus than they ever believed.
because they are loved and served by the man of heaven, the Lord of glory on a cross for them. Clarity of sight, seeing Jesus on a cross, your king on a throne, leads to greatness of service, faithfulness of service, humility of service. So may it be in your heart and my heart and among us forever. Amen.